to have Emily come to read scripture with us. Thank you, Emily. And grieve not of the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed to the day of redemption. We're going to ask the deacons to collect the, the papers, please. And maybe we can have our secretary and maybe June. Maybe uh, can we do that? Is Lorraine here? Well, there's here. Yeah, can you guys, um, we'll pass these on to you. That Maybe you guys can tally them up. And maybe sometime later in the service we can uh, announce who uh, the nominees are. And then we're going to ask whoever the nominees are. If you would stick around after the service uh, just for a quick little meeting, okay? So Elder Eskia, uh, we have a baptism coming up October 30th, and I'll let you begin with one of our candidates, Joyce. Happy Sabbath, Church. I normally come here very occasion to speak up here, but I'm so humbled today to announce the baptism of uh, Sister Joyce Kezo. Will you please stand up so the church can see you? Amen. Joyce Kezo. I ask the church to pray for her because she'll be baptized on the 30th of this month. Uh, I was sitting here on the piano and then she came to me. She said, I need a Bible study. Then I told her, which one do you want to have Bible study with? And she said, you. <laughs> and I say, really? Say yes. So, I've been with her on the Bible study for almost now three months. We are studying. She's studying a lot. And I have offered something more that even when she'll be baptized, I'll stick with her. We'll go to heavy Adventism study. You know, traditional Adventism. After you be baptized, you go to other father study to tough Adventism doctrine. So when she'll be baptized, I'll still have to meet with her regularly. We go to father study. So pray for her and pray for me. We, we have done almost all the doctrine except the sanctuary. We'll make it the last one because it has a lot of issues and I don't want to skip any detail. God bless you. Yeah, amen. And he teaches with passion. I teach the youth class downstairs, and the door is closed. And I hear him teaching. There's a lot of gusto in your teaching. We appreciate you, Elder. Uh, yes. No. Well, wasn't that beautiful special music? It's going to be tough to follow that. And, uh, and we're just thankful for all the flowers that uh, are brought here every Sabbath. 
Thank you very much. Um, and what a lovely group of young people up front. Wasn't that? I mean, you, if time would last, and I know we want the Lord to come tomorrow, but if time would last, that's a nice-looking future for the church. Beautiful-looking future. Okay. Um, oh, that's right. Excuse me, Elder. I have this banana box, and none of you are going to get a banana. But you could get a health book. So if you don't have some of these books, you're welcome. I went to Michigan last a couple weeks ago. Uh, John Seeger, if you ever want his name or his number, um, he sells Adventist used books. His house is filled with them. You know, there's only a really a few places around the country that someone has that many books to sell. There's Autumn Leaves, there's John Seeger, and there's one other place I don't remember. And, uh, and some of these older books are really good, and he has newer books. But if you don't have any of these cooking the natural way, if you don't have books on councils on health, uh, and there's quite a few of those in here, the book Temperance, uh, because, you know, after I focus a little bit more on the Holy Spirit here, um, I want us to talk a little more about health and talk about our preparation to do the, one of the last great works. Um, there will always be sick people. And that will always be the entering wedge. Okay? A book on fatigue by Agatha Thrash. And I tried to get all the ones I could find by her. But if you don't have some of these books... Please take them. They're free, okay? And just use them. Because we may not be able to be part of an official class, but we can keep educating ourselves. And just keep reading, keep reading, and keep gaining knowledge. But this this box I'll just leave up here, if that's okay. And after the service, if you'd like to take a book or two or something, or, you know, somebody would like one that's not here today. But what a wonderful congregation today. We're pretty full, aren't we? Praise God. Well, let us have a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you for gracing us with uh, a lovely congregation. And we know that we're united if we're united on love and truth. And Father, we're just thankful that we're your remnant church, that you have blessed us with truth. And Father, we just pray that every day we'll drink from this wonderful reservoir of love as we allow the Holy Spirit to add to our faith each day, but add to, in our hearts, more love. And so, Father, we know this will be the the sign that we're truly your people. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for the music we've heard and the prayers and the scripture reading, and and we just want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember, it was maybe it was a a couple of Sabbaths ago, I did about the Holy Spirit, and he's the water, and Jesus is the, he's the seed. The Holy Spirit's not the seed. Jesus is the seed. He lived a life in our flesh that can be produced in us. That's why he became one of us, is to live a life in our fallen flesh that now we could have that life. He became the seed because through Adam, our inheritance is death. But Christ became a seed in which in that seed is eternal, is eternal life. And if you have the seed of Jesus in you, you have eternal life as long as you keep 
watering it. Because a seed in the ground with no water bears no fruit. Seed and water. We need the Holy Spirit every day, friends, every day to water the plant of Jesus in us to bear the fruit of a Christ-like character. Now, I want to focus really on three things about the Holy Spirit today. Uh, One is that the Holy Spirit, God is what? Love. And the Holy Spirit is our access to all that love. He's the reservoir. So I want you just to picture that God's love is bigger than the ocean, right? It's endless. And how often can we drink from it? Every day. And do you know that's the only place you're going to get agape love? He is actually the singular source of this kind of love. It does come from above, and we can have it. How much does it cost? Well, it costs you everything in one sense. You are correct. It is free. But we can't clog up the avenue to our soul with sin and selfishness and pride. That has to go because that will obstruct the flow of love. We need to take away the obstacles of that love to flow inside of us. And then our life will be filled more and more with the love of Christ. And I ultimately believe that's still why we're here. It's not that we need 29 doctrines, right? We just need more of God's love. Because remember, the last great revelation of God's message to the world is a revelation of his... It's actually a revelation of his love. It's actually not a Revelation 13 sermon about who the beast is. Even though that's important. I'm not putting that down at all. I'm just wanting to exalt what's actually more important. But the two have to be meshed. You don't have to choose between them. We just need to embrace it all. But realize that love trumps everything. Uh, If I could have the faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, what? I actually don't have anything. If I had all prophecy, but I didn't have love. Am I making this up, or is this in the Bible? This is 1 Corinthians 13. I could have all these other things, every gift of the Spirit, but if I don't have love, I actually don't have anything. I just have a religion. But what I want is an experience that will fit me for heaven, that I will always want to live near the presence of God. Is that right? So let's think of the Holy Spirit as this reservoir. I'll look at this Bible verse at the bottom first, Romans 5.5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by who? The Holy Holy Ghost, which is given unto you. This is where we get God's love. He's the reservoir of all this love. And in the book, Christ's Object Lesson, the indwelling of the Spirit will be shown by the outflowing of what? Heavenly love. The divine influence will flow through the consecrated human agent to be given forth to to others. The reason I want to receive the flow of love from the Holy Spirit is to impart it. It, The Bible doesn't teach, God, just love me. Let me receive your love so that I can love other people. That's when I know I actually have it. Okay? Okay. The trademark. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or agape love, we talked about this, I actually have, I do have nothing. 
Now, what can Satan counterfeit? He counterfeits just about everything, doesn't he? Can he counterfeit healing? Can he counterfeit prophecy? Sure, there's all kinds of erroneous prophecies out there. Uh, Gifts of tongues. Oh, man, he does that big time. Hundreds of millions of people are speaking in a false tongue. But what's the one thing he can't counterfeit? He can't counterfeit because he doesn't have it. He lost it. Do you know for a long, long time, he loved God with all his heart. And there came a day when he loved himself more than he loved God. And now look at the results of that. That led into absolute rebellion. You think, well, what if he just loved God a little bit? No. You have to love God with all your heart and always put him first. Because as soon as he's not first, who's first? I'm first. Is that what happened to Lucifer? It didn't all happen in a day. Bit by bit. He began to allow pride and self-interest trump his love for God. So the way back to God would be through not loving the world, not even loving myself, but, and this is the main reason I should want to be filled with the Spirit. Because if I have just a little bit of the Spirit, I'm only going to love God just a little bit. And that's not safe. Because in the end of time, what's going to allow you to keep God's commandments, all ten of them, in the face of so much opposition is because you have so much love for God. Not even just a love for the church or a love for truth. It's all based upon your love for God. Isn't that right? Jesus said, by this shall men all, this shall all men know that you are my disciples if I mean, that's going to be, how often is that true? Was that only true in the first century? That is a true statement all the time. The world in the end of time, so in the end of time, we can't be a bunch of divided people bickering at each other. Because if people see that, they'll say you're not God's remnant church. Isn't that right? This is why we got to base everything on the text, everything on the Bible, while we embrace this reservoir of love at the same time. Because you can have all truth and not have love, and you, you actually have nothing. We have to take this truth and mesh it with the golden rule. Right? So for this is the message, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should what? We know that we have, we know, we know we've been converted when this happens. We know that we've passed from death, being of the seed of Adam, unto life, being born unto Jesus, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in, still in that old nature. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Because it's always easy to say it might cost you a little bit to do it, right? It's going to cost you some time, right? Think about what love did to these two men. Paul was first known as Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted the early church, 
But how did he end his life? Serving God with his whole heart because he finally realized that God loved him and that God is love. And if God is love, I can't be persecuting these people. I've got to have a whole different mindset. I have to see myself as a debtor to how many people? All people. That I will choose to become all things to how many? All men. Because that's love. But before that, he persecuted people because they didn't agree with him. Love changed all that. That's the thing that changed it. And John, the beloved, was one of those sons of thunder. Right? And uh, there was a day when he prayed, Lord, do I have permission to bring fire down on these people over here? But love changed his life. And there came a point where he never had a thought like that again. Because love is real. Love is power. And it changes your perspective. How you see people, how you treat people. And that's what people are going to look at, right? Love is power. Intellectual and moral strength are involved in this principle and cannot be separated from it. The excellence and value of pure love consists in its efficiency to do what? To do good and to do nothing else than good. Whatsoever is done out of pure love, be it ever so little or contemptible in the sight of men, is wholly fruitful. For God regards more how much love one worketh than the amount he doeth. So, some people say, didn't I do this in your name? I do all these wonderful works in your name. And Jesus says, because the people didn't know his love. That didn't mean they didn't love their friends or love their dog. But they didn't love their enemies. Right? They didn't love those who believed differently because they voted, yeah, these people can't buy and sell. Even though they did these things in his name. Okay? The greatest commandment, think about how Jesus answers the question when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? When asked, Jesus said, thou shalt love who? The Lord thy God, with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the what? This is actually the first thing. This is the first love we must have. And great. this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And as I said just earlier, the reason you want to drink of this reservoir of love is to be able to keep this first commandment. Because if I don't receive his love, I can't really love him. The thing is, we're born with a nature, a fallen nature, that doesn't love God. Do you realize that? We're born with a nature that doesn't even want God to tell us what to do. We're born with a carnal mind. But to be born again is to have a spiritual mind that now begins to really love God. But it's just a beginning when we're born again. We're only beginning to know how to love Him in return. And the reason we receive the Holy Spirit more every day is to learn how to love Him more. 
You know, even in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nobody else is before God. Jesus would say it this way, If you don't love me more than mother and father and brother and sister, then you're not going to make it where? You're really not going to make it in the kingdom. You're, not, you're really not my disciple. This is how serious this is. We have to love God supremely, but we can't do it without drinking from this reservoir of love, which is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Think of this statement. You know, when you thought about what was the great thing about the early Advent movement, we could say it was the sanctuary. And and by the way, and I'll bring this up in two weeks, uh, Lena and I went over to Hiram Edson. Have you ever heard of Hiram Edson? Hiram Edson, so there's this disappointment. He had all these Adventists, Wayne or Millerites, waiting for Jesus to come October 22nd, 1844. Hiram Edson had a farm in New York. He had a lot of people with him, believing that Jesus was going to come that day. And they watched the clock, and they were singing throughout almost the whole day, expecting Jesus to come. And then it got to be 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, and it started dawning on them, Jesus may not be coming. And sure enough, it strikes midnight, and Jesus isn't here, and there's this tremendous disappointment. And so the people had stayed there. They stayed there, and they got up early in the morning. It was still, it was still dark out. And they went into the barn, and they prayed. They prayed that God would give them light, that God would explain this disappointment to them. And so the dawn, it dawns, and, and Hiram Edson says, let's go out and let's encourage our brethren. And he's walking through the cornfield. We're not told what cornfield it was because we'd probably worship that spot, right? Here's some dirt from the cornfield. You know? So he's walking through a cornfield. And he's walking with Crozier. And Crozier keeps walking, and Hiram Edson Edson stops. And he's just looking up in the sky. What's what's happening to him? He's seeing a vision. What's he seeing? He's actually seeing a vision of Jesus going from the holy place to the most holy place in heaven. And Crozier's like walking along, and he's probably talking... And, and Hiram Edson's still back there. He goes back there. What are, you, what are you doing? God's answering our prayer. We prayed for light that God would explain our disappointment. God's answering our prayer right now. And he sees Jesus. Man, it gives me goosebumps to think about this. Sees Jesus walk into the most holy place. And boy, were they able to encourage the believers after that. Crozier winds up writing about the sanctuary and the day star and so forth. This is, in a way, kind of the birthplace of Adventism, right? In a cornfield. But it preceded that. It was all the studies, all the Bible studies, all the prayers, the preaching, everything was part of that birth. But this is the statement that kind of caught my eye. We were indeed a peculiar people. We were few in numbers, without wealth, without worldly honors. And yet we believed God and were strong and successful a terror to evildoers. What's it say? Our love for one another was steadfast. It was not easily shaken. Then the power of God was manifested among us. The sick were healed and there was much calm, sweet, holy joy. The emphasis isn't we had this doctrine and that doctrine. We had some. They had the truth. 
But they had something they had to have with that truth. They would have never made it. Even with the new truths they had, they would have never made it if they didn't have love. Because they faced a lot of opposition. They were not welcomed by family members anymore or churches, maybe even employers. They faced a lot of ridicule. In fact, Ellen White told Hiram Metzen, after a while, you're going to need to move from where you are. There was that many people who hated him. Okay? He had to move, and he did. Notice this. The power of the Lord is what? It's magnified when? When the human heart is tender. Isn't that something? Sensitive to another's woe and pitiful for his suffering. Angels of God are all ready to cooperate with human instrumentalities and ministering to souls. When the Holy Spirit works upon our hearts and minds, we shall not shun duty and responsibility and pass by on the other side, leaving the wounded, helpless soul to its mercy. It doesn't say the power of the God is magnified when we get one more printing press, one more radio station. The power of the Lord is magnified when we drink from that reservoir of love and it leads us to not pass by the wounded, but to minister to those needs. That's how the work's going to get done, isn't it? Notice this, our greatest sin. The inhumanity of man towards man is our, it's our greatest sin. Do you know if everybody in the world just helped one person? Now, how hard would that be? Oh, the whole world would change overnight. It would literally change overnight. It would almost be heavenly on earth if everybody just helped one person. But it doesn't happen that way. People actually plan hurting people. Isn't that right? They plan ill for people. It's terrible. Said the angel, lack of love and faith are the greatest sins of which God's people are now guilty. It's not just talking about the world. Now it's talking about, it's talking about the church. So again, we don't need a 29th doctrine. We need to overcome this greatest sin in the church. And the remedy is, is love. The reservoir of love that comes from the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? So, in the sermon, I think in the title it says, Reservoir, Character Builder, and Sealer, right? So let's go to Character Builder. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? At the first list of the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's, it's number one. Notice this, there can be no growth of fruitfulness in the life that is centered in self. If you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you are to forget yourself, try to help others. As you receive the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of unselfish love and labor for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. The graces of the Spirit will ripen into your character. It's just natural for us to want to think about what's best for, for me. But what we need to pray, God, bring someone into my life that I can help. So I'm not so consumed about me. But I start taking an interest in others because until that happens, the flow of love doesn't come from me to someone else. 
It becomes stagnant. And if, it does, if it's not flowing from me, I can't receive anymore. Amen. It's already full. Does that make sense? We get more as we share more. Amen. And this gets into character because bearing fruit is character development, isn't it? Amen. Okay? Perfection of character is what? It is a miracle because we can't change ourselves. If I'm born with a fallen nature and I cannot change myself, then the change must be by both divine power. And I've I've added this. A lot of times we say divine power, but it's also God's divine presence. You know, I don't just want to pray for, give me power today. No, let me experience your presence all day. I really want both, don't I? You want power and presence. The religion of Christ means more than the forgiveness of sins. It means the taking away of sins and filling the vacuum with the graces of the Holy Spirit. It means a heart emptied of self and blessed with the what? The abiding presence of Christ. I want power to overcome, but so as I don't fall back into it, I want his presence. I'll get the power to overcome when I'm tempted. The question is alleviating, diminishing those temptations by his constant presence in my life. Okay? If any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I remember talking to somebody, I don't remember where it was, or, but I'll never forget what he said. He says, Jeff, you know, if, you, if you're tempted to, say, smoke a cigarette, Deny yourself. And then you're tempted again. And he says, deny yourself. Now, all this is by God's grace. He says, you're tempted a third time, what? And he says, after the third time, you'll notice that the temptation isn't as strong anymore. And in a way, if we live a life where we're tempted and we get a victory, then we're tempted the second time and we give in. Tempted, overcome, tempted, give in. We haven't made our resolve, have we? Deny, deny, deny. And here's the thing God will do. When you've demonstrated that you're willing to follow him to deny yourself, he blesses that in a way that you and I can't calculate, right? He will honor your decision to honor him, and he won't allow you to be tempted to smoke a cigarette every day. You make that choice, and he'll bless you. I remember my mom smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. And then she she gave her life to the Lord. And this doesn't happen with everybody. She never smoked a cigarette again after that. In some cases, God just takes away the temptation. But in other cases, he says, I'm not just going to take it away. I'm going to let you learn to lean on me. That every time you're tempted, you'll turn to me. And in either way, God knows how to... He knows our characters, our personalities so well, perfectly. He knows how just to lead each one of us, right? Both ways bring victory, right? It is by giving up the carnal life that we can have Christ's life reproduced in us. All who long to bear the likeness of the character of God shall be satisfied. The Holy Spirit went, how often? Never leaves unassisted. 
the soul who's looking unto Jesus. If you are constantly looking to Christ, you're never, ever going to be alone. You'll never be unassisted by the Holy Spirit. If you behold Christ, the Holy Spirit is always there to assist you to be like Jesus. He'll never turn his back on you. He'll still woo your heart, but you're never alone. Is that good? Because sometimes we say, oh, I just want to be like Jesus. I don't know why it's such a struggle. But maybe it's because we're trying to do it and not allowing the Holy Spirit to do it. He's the one that makes it possible for us to become like Jesus. So here's motive. I love this statement up here. What's the motive to overcome the carnal nature? And this is a zeal for God's glory. Is what? The motive. Implanted by the Holy Spirit. And, and only the effectual outworking or the working of the Spirit can implant this motive. On the power of God, uh, on the power of God can banish self-seeking hypocrisy. This is a signal of his work. So, one of the signs of conversion is your motive for doing what you do. That when I first became a Christian at the age of 20, all of a sudden I wanted to read the Bible. What was, why did I have that motive? The Holy Spirit put the motive in my heart. Prior to being converted, I had no interest in reading the Bible. I had no interest to be around Christians. I didn't like anybody witnessing to me. But as soon as the Holy Spirit touched my heart, I had the motive to study the Bible. We need for the Holy Spirit and pray, Father, send the Holy Spirit and place the motive in me to want to do everything to your, your glory. Study, communion, witnessing, right? Everything. Place the motive. And you know, ultimately, isn't that really what the first angel's message is about? Before we tell people that judgment's already started, before we even tell the world or tell people that we should worship him who created heaven and earth, we tell them to what? Fear God and that's being, that's the motive. To give God is the motive. To give glory to God is the motive to keep the Sabbath. Right? Even in the face of opposition. Because if the motive is there, how hard will it be to keep the Sabbath when you can't buy and sell if the motive is there? But if my motive is because my family were Sabbath keepers, if my motive is, well, it's family tradition, that's not going to be a strong enough motive, friends. The motive has to be giving glory to God. This is what will keep us strong. Okay? Motives for keeping God's law, first of all, would be Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. We read that, that we should love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. That the reason we want to keep God's law is because it's an expression of our love to God. But I want us to look at this. Look at Psalm 11, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that what? You know, those, those statements mean the same thing. 
to have a fear for God is the beginning of wisdom. And if I want to have wisdom, I need to keep God's law. Here's how it works. If I don't have the law of God written in my heart, thou shalt not bear false witness, how smart am I ever going to get? How am I going to develop this human mind, this talent God's given us, if I don't choose to keep God's commandments? Amen. You see, if, if I choose to be covetous and to lie, I just diminished the ennobling of my own mind. Is this right? I mean, there's a lot of smart people who know how to crunch the numbers who don't love God. But that knowledge won't get them to heaven. And that knowledge won't make them wise unto salvation. The reason you want to keep the commandments, first of all, is to show your love to God. But number two, you've now gained an understanding that says, you know, if I keep God's commandments by the power of God, I will become a wiser person in this world to know how to help people. But the more commandments I break, the less useful I can be in God's work. Does that make sense? I think science would back that one up. Character is power. The silent witness of a true, unselfish, godly life carries an almost irresistible influence. When those who profess to serve God follow Christ's example, practicing the principles of the law in their daily life, when every act bears witness that they what? Love God Suprema. That's the motive for keeping them supremely and their neighbors themselves, then will the church have what? Power to move the world. Well, we already believe in the commandments, but we have to keep them. If we keep them, we'll be wiser. If we keep them with the right motive, we'll love God more. And then that becomes our motive. This wise people now have the motive to take the message to the world. And ultimately, that's what God's waiting for. People have the right motive to give glory to God. They become wise unto salvation because they know God's will. Right? Now, let me just finish up with this idea that the Holy Spirit's also the sealer. Now, in this passage, we see our statement about where it talks about a mark. Those who receive the pure mark of truth wrought in them by the power of what? Or who? Holy Ghost. Represented by a mark by the man and the linen are those that sign cry for the abominations that be done in the church. Their love for purity and the honor and glory of God is such, and they have so clear a view of the exceeding sinfulness of sin that they are represented as being in agony, even sighing and crying. Now, I've been in meetings where people laughed about the things happening in the church. Well, that's not what this is talking about. You and I will only sigh and cry about abominations and sins in the church when we ourselves keep the... because we'll have a better understanding of the seriousness of sin. We'll be wiser when it comes to sin. And then we'll see how serious it really is. But that can only happen when you're keeping the commandments by God's grace. And when you have this overwhelming desire and motive to give glory to God, it becomes all the more anguishing to see sin in the church. 
Because you realize it's stealing glory away from God. And what you really want to see is the church where everybody has the motive to glorify God in all things. And it's like, wow, that's what God always wanted. And then we get to go home, friends. We get to go home. But the closer we come to keeping those commandments and having a motive to give glory to God, the more it pains us to see sin in the church. That does make sense, doesn't it? So, Holy Spirit is sealer. In whom Christ you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that ye believed, and you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of God. So, to me, and I did a sermon probably a year or so ago, when you first receive Christ, you receive the seal of the Holy Spirit which is to prepare you to receive the seal of the living God in the end, right? What is the Holy Spirit trying to seal? As he leads us through life to become more and more like Jesus, he's trying to seal Jesus in and everything unlike Jesus out. So in you, in this vessel is Christ and Him alone. The Holy Spirit wants to seal in love and seal out hate. Is this right? He wants to seal in love and seal out envy. So it's not in you anymore. He wants to seal it out of you. This is a tremendous... He takes... Do you imagine this? Eight billion people in the world. And with every person, He's able to perfectly work in them to seal righteousness in and seal sin out. Holy Spirit has to be God to be able to do this, right? He has to be the third person. And the Bible teaches that. But what an amazing work. So every day we should pray. Father, I know there's some more I need to receive. And I don't just want to receive it once. I want the Holy Spirit to seal it in me. So it never leaves me. Help me, Father, to overcome this. And when I overcome it, that it will never, it'll never come back. It is sealed out. That's the work he can do. This is the sealing process is going on when? It's going on right now. Do you know every day we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit? And this is a serious work. Because this is what the whole judgment is. A judgment will show whether you and I com- cooperated with heavenly agencies to receive righteousness and to have it sealed in me and to have seal sin sealed out. Every day will demonstrate whether I participated in that work of the Holy Spirit. Is this right? And it all comes up to judgment. And if yesterday was a bad day, Today's a new day. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how many times you've done it. God can seal out any sin in your life. And he can seal in anything you and I are deficient of. It can happen. He is capable. But he won't force himself. You have to ask for it. 
Father, I struggle with this. Seal it out of me. And Father, may I have the loveliness of Jesus in me, sealed in. Now, I should get close to an end here. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands standeth sure. Having this what? Seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, because they're being sealed, aren't they? Righteousness sealed in. And let everyone that nameth the name of God depart from... So that, just, that represents exactly what I just said. The sealing is about departing from iniquity and have iniquity sealed out and righteousness sealed in. But if we as a people publicly sin, we are demonstrating to the world that God's foundations are not sure. And this, and they are, even if we don't demonstrate it. But from them, their view of God is by looking at his people. And if Christians commit all the same sins that are the world's committing, people are going to say, well, God's foundations aren't sure. What's the point? What they need is a demonstration that we don't cuss and we don't drink and we don't smoke cigarettes and we don't do this and we don't do that. Not to earn salvation, but to prove that God's foundations are sure. This is how we give glory to God, not how we earn anything. It's all about your motive to give glory to God in all things. Is this right? And this is why we need to receive the Holy Spirit. Let me close. I don't even know what the next one is here, but we'll stop because I know I'm gone long. We who believe the truth should be very careful to give no occasion for our good to be evil spoken of. We should know that every step we take is in accordance with the Bible. For those that hate the commandments of God will triumph over our missteps and faults. We live in very serious times, friends. People are watching. And as soon as they know you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you need to be all the more careful in how you walk. And that we should never give them an occasion to say Seventh-day Adventists are this. We need to make sure that as we represent God in this world, that we make sure that every step is according to God's word. And then the people say, this is a wise... And what? A wise people. But there's another word that goes with this. (laughs) They're supposed to help me. Don't repeat what I said. This is a wise and... Huh? Loving people. And there's another word in there, and I forgot it. And, uh, but that's what people need to say. Because when the Sunday laws are passed and we can't buy and sell, we want people to say, why are you persecuting them? They don't do this, they don't do this, and they're the ones that help me with this and this and this. You see? This is what we need that people will say, because that's what they see. And then we'll win some. Isn't that right? We'll alleviate some of the prejudice 
by going about doing good and doing what God says. By receiving his love and his power and his presence. Before we have our closing uh, prayer, we have our closing hymn. Thank you. And there's going to be announcements. Is that they do the tally? And remember, there's some health books here. You're welcome to take as much as you like. Our closing hymn today is going to be number 579, "'Tis Love That Makes Us Happy." Number 579, and if we could all stand. Our Father, we heard this message in the children's story that you do love us with an everlasting love. And so, Father, we want to receive that agape love for one another. And we know this is what will bind us together to be united front with a special present truth for this time. So, Father, may we, through this mighty movement, the one thing Satan can't counterfeit is love. But may this be the true trademark of our movement. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We have an announcement.